0: Our God, we pause now to ready our hearts to ask you to open up space within us to hear from you. For some, it's been a really long, full week and perhaps uh, this is the first deep breath that they felt. Um, we pray in this moment that we would be open to hearing from you that your word would become alive in us and for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. In his book, Leslie Flynn writes, in his book titled Great Church Fights, he chronicles how people in the name of Jesus Christ have gone after each other in some of the most amazing debates And he chronicles a true story about a dad who overheard his kids and the neighbor kids fighting in the backyard. And as he goes to interrupt, the kids looked up surprised, like, what are you doing? And his daughter says, dad, you're interrupting. We're just playing church. As they had been yelling and screaming, Unfortunately, he said, this is not just something that happens when kids are playing. This is something, and he goes on his book, to tell how people do this. This is what humans do. We get in each other's faces and we disagree with each other and it's right where Paul finds himself because in this letter in the book of Philippians as we continue our series, this part of the letter, the first part we looked at for the last two weeks was talking about Paul and his experience and what he's going through and telling them how he is. And then in this next part, he starts to get into how you are. Now let me talk to you about how you are and how you're doing and what's going on. And what we find out in Philippians chapter four is that two people that were really close to Paul, two people that had his heart, that were partners in the gospel, Iodia and Syntyche, I see it now, you're thinking of the names of your future children, Iodia, Syntyche, Oh man, perfect names, right? Bible names that you never expected. But Iodia and Syntyche were at odds. They were fighting with each other. And so Paul begins it, this discourse with, here's where I'm coming from, here's what I'm going through, here's the suffering that I am experiencing, and then now let's talk about what you're going through. And he starts to talk about unity about how we who believe the good news actually relate to each other. It's a really, really powerful section that we're going to look at today. Turn with me to Philippians chapter one. Thank you so much for reading that, Alex. Um, She read the next part. We're gonna start in Philippians chapter one, verse 27. And as we start there, Paul was talking, and I wonder if anyone can relate to this today, that the people as they were facing this were experiencing pressure from within and pressure from without. That just like Paul, as he was in chains, he was under house arrest, he was confined to spaces that he didn't want to be confined to. As he's going through this, he's experiencing pressure from without, that is the the suffering and the experiences that he's going through and maybe you're going through struggles and you're finding that relationships are hard or there's other things, there's stuff that's going on, but then there's also pressure from within. Now this means, for Paul, the church community. He's thinking communally, holistically. He's thinking about how the church, Iodia and Syntyche and others, are aligning with each other and taking sides and he's saying, you not only have suffering going on outside of the church, but you have struggle going on inside the church. Now, I would even say perhaps we could go further. Have you ever felt a war within your own self? Have you ever felt pressure from without and pressure from within your own mind? That at times you're doing things, you're doing all of this, but there's a war going on in your own head about how you are thinking or experiencing life? This applies there too. He had, they had pressure, from outside and pressure from within side. And here's what Paul says. Whatever happens, as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the gospel in one spirit, striving together with one accord for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him. Before even going on, some of you just need that word today because we like to look at the beautiful, we like to behold all that's good and we want all that's good to be going in our lives. But he says not only do you believe in Christ, but you also get to suffer for him. You might be going through a particular suffering or trial or challenge right now that you just need to be reminded that Christ is with you in that suffering. We try to fix it with each other Remember, we come alongside each other and we hear about something going on in our immediate places. Let me tell you how you can fix that. But the example of Christ, the incarnate one, is I will join you in it. Not I will try to fix it, but I will join you in it. And by doing that, Christ was able to affect change in our lives. And so here we see Christ reminding them through Paul that you not only believe, but you also are having the privilege of suffering for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. There are some of you right now that are going through struggle and suffering and others are inspired by watching you. You don't even know it but your kid is paying attention to how you're going through that. And it's a witness to the power of God in your life. Then he goes on to say, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Can you hear his passion, his pleading for the church that he wants to be united, that he wants them to know that they can be all together, one spirit, one love, one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking out for your own interests only, but each of you to the interests of the others. Paul's pleading with them for unity as they struggle and contend with the gospel. Yet it is so easy for us to misunderstand each other. It's so easy for us to assign motives that aren't there. I know what I saw, you could say to your family member or to a fellow church member, I know what I saw. We know motive, do we? Do we really? There's a uh, much lighter, lighter story but I, I traveled um, to my doctorate ministry classes each year and some classmates traveled from further, and one of our cohort members traveled to our cohort every year from Australia. Wonderful guy, loved it. We were talking through one of the situations he was facing in his church, and he was telling this story, and he said, you know, he spit the dummy as he went on to tell the story, and I said, spit the dummy? And he said, you know, he threw a wobbly. And I said, tell me more? And he said, he had his knickers in a knot. We were literally having a conversation about what one thing meant by using another thing that I didn't understand in order to use another thing that I didn't understand either. Spit the dummy, threw a wobbly, had his knickers in a knot. I had to have explanation at each one. And yet sometimes we try to explain where we're coming from with each other and we miss each other in the same way. And we don't even come from halfway across the world. We just don't understand each other. So it's like, this is obvious. Of course this is clear. Of course you can understand what I'm about to say to you. But I say it and Ernie has a different interpretation of it, right? And then I try again and, and your, your loved one just doesn't get it because we're trying. Paul's speaking to a church that is in this heated struggle They're choosing sides, they're going through this, they're struggling, and he's saying, in the face of all of this, he's calling them to unity. And I don't believe he's speaking as one who's just idealistic pie in the sky. You can just all be together and kumbaya. His words are solidly grounded in reality because suffering just melts away the idealism of other times when we're just like, oh yes, we can all be united. But Paul here is saying, from his suffering, you are all called to be one in Christ, one in spirit, one in love, one in heart, one in mind, even, and perhaps especially when you're having a hard time understanding each other. He says in verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. This word in Greek here is only used twice in the New Testament, and in Greek literature it means to have one's citizenship or home in a certain place, but then to have it affected by that place wherever you go. And this is so perfect for the church in Philippi, because the church in Philippi, they were part of a Roman territory that though they didn't live in Rome, they had the privileges and the status of Roman citizens. So he's saying, you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel because your citizenship is in heaven. This good news, what's the good news? What's the good, what's this gospel? Good news, I gave you the punchline before I gave you the question. Great, what is the gospel? That might help you to say good news. What is the gospel? Oh, wonderful. I think I got more participation because I messed that up though, so good. What is the gospel? Great. Good news is that it's what Jesus already did. What he already completed. Your citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, you act in a different way, Paul says. It's not because you're trying to become a citizen. Some of you have been through that process, bless you but our passport already has our picture and we're citizens of heaven and because of that, because of what has already happened, because of who Jesus is and what has been done, we then act differently. He says we, whatever happens, conduct ourselves a man, in a manner worthy of the gospel, even when that family member at that Thanksgiving says all the things that trigger you. We conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel even when they threw you under the bus in front of everyone at work. We conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel when not only is it something in your mind that you think that this is happening, but it's actually showing that it is true that they are doing that. We conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel because of what is already determined by what Jesus has done. We are citizens of heaven. And so even though you don't live in Rome, and we don't live in a perfect world. As Dr. Brand said, it's it's still beautiful, but there's so much more coming. Even, even then, we conduct ourselves as citizens of this place. Because of what Jesus has done, by what you do, you demonstrate who you are. So Paul says, live a life that is worthy of your citizenship. Verse 28, he says, he mentions those who oppose them. And if you could earmark Acts chapter 16, 20 and 21, that's a spot you can go back to and read about the political pressure that was being faced by those in Philippi. In Acts, it's these pressures that they were experiencing and going through, and the command from Paul is that you can only stand up against the outward attacks as you fortify and stand together internally. So as you stand together as believers, you can withstand the pressure from without. As you stand together inside of yourself, you can withstand the struggle in your family or in your workplace, in the places that you go. Stand firm, contend with the gospel, stand in one spirit, And Paul's words actually mean stand as one person. How is it that they are able to do that? Seriously, Paul, it's hard enough with the people that I choose as my friends, the people that I like and understand well, but you're talking about a group of people that do not always disagree, agree. They do not always agree with each other. We talk about this all the time. It's something that comes up regularly in conversation. We're so divided. You just start talking about just, things that we've taken off the table to talk about oh well you don't talk about politics and you don't talk about religion right but there's so much that we don't talk about because of what stress that might bring and we're divided along the lines of our age and our experience and our class and our education level how in the world paul Are we expected to come all together to be of one mind, one spirit, one heart? What in the world? Paul is not an idealist. Paul is speaking from a vision that is from God. Paul says, since we have this opposition from outside of us, since we have this opposition that is going on, we are called to be even more strong in our unity inside. One love. One spirit, one mind. Now lest you think that they just were easier to get along with back then, lest you think that the church didn't have any reasons to get upset, they all came from all different parts just like us. We're not more divided than they were. but. One thing that's interesting and slightly different about our culture is we can have this culture of individualism, it's a superstar culture. Our culture can emphasize the one at the expense of the whole. So we compare ourselves to each other, we think if one person has something that we want that there's not enough for everyone else and so we think that just the idealism of the one, the superstar, the person, we can get into these comparison traps and these patterns that are unhealthy. Now there are some here that come from in the culture and on the other extreme where the whole is elevated at the expense of the one. They were coming from more a communal mindset and culture. So as we look at this and understand this passage, Paul is saying you come at this from an understanding of both the whole and the one, that there is this one spirit, one mind, one soul, and how in the world does that happen? He goes on to tell us that in Philippians chapter two. That statement that we, as we go from the pressures from without on Philippians chapter one, you go into Philippians chapter two and it says, therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, all of these statements, these if-then statements, would be better off read as since then. Since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, since you have comfort from his love, since you have common sharing of the spirit, since you have tenderness and compassion, then you can show up in the same way with other people. You see, I can't give you something I haven't experienced. I cannot give you something that I am not experiencing. You cannot give to your family, to your friends, to the people around you something that you're not experiencing. And so Paul says, as you come into the presence of God, as you come into the presence of Jesus, since you experience tenderness there, since you experience compassion there, since you experience the deep love of God there, then you can offer it to someone else. This is not fuzzy idealism to just say that unity begins with Christ, it's practical, it's boots on the ground. You and I must come into the presence of God and realize the grace of God ourselves. Because since I've received that grace, I then can offer that grace to you. Since I have received tenderness, I can offer that tenderness to you. Since I have misunderstood things about God, I can offer that same grace that I receive from God to you. Whatever it is that we experience with Christ, then the overflow can be poured out into the lives of those around us. So he starts off, therefore, since you've had all of this from Christ, since you experience the tenderness and compassion and encouragement and mercy in the spirit, then, You can be one mind, one heart, one people moving forward to share the good news of Jesus. It all starts and ends with Jesus Christ. Again, not idealistic babbling. He is speaking from the reality of a deep conviction that Jesus is creating a new thing a beautiful new thing among the people of God. In Ephesians, Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and in Ephesians chapter two, as he's writing this letter, speaking about these themes, he talks about this, verse 14 of Ephesians chapter two. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He said that consequently, verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Using this image of the temple courts, I want to remind you of where they were immediately coming from. Gentiles could go into one court and then in the next court, Jewish men and women were both allowed, if you could put that up if you can. Um, and then in the next court, only Jewish men. And this dividing wall of hostility was actually found, if you look at the next picture, that with the inscription that reads, whoever is captured will give himself, have himself to blame for his subsequent death. These ominous words were actually inscribed on one of those dividing walls between the temple partitions. That if you are not like this, if you don't fit into this mold, if you are not this particular way, you are not allowed beyond, because we have created this dividing wall of hostility and you are not like us and therefore you do not have access to God. You do not have access to participate in the life and faith of this community because of who you are. So Gentiles, you stay right there. And women, you don't go beyond here. And only Jewish men are allowed in here. And then only the priests in there. And so Paul says in Ephesians two, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. And to the believers that were hearing this letter, it was immediate. Whoa. New reality. New reality. Reality in Jesus Christ. So when I come into the presence of God and I experience the tenderness and the encouragement and the compassion and the love of Jesus Christ, of course that's going to overflow having one mind, one heart, one spirit with the people around me because what we had determined divided us now no longer divides us. In Jesus, we are no longer divided. Whatever you might have cooked up as a separation between you and your brother and sister in Jesus Christ is not valid. Whatever you think might divide us, it is not able to hold water when you look at what Jesus did. When you look at what Jesus, his body broken and blood poured out for salvation for all. What he did, Paul says. How is Christ creating this new humanity? through the sacrifice and love of Jesus, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, those new to the faith, those who've been around for a while, those who grew up Adventist, and those who just joined yesterday, were all one, one in Christ. Those who think of this, like this particular kind of food and those who don't like this particular kind of food, those who voted for this political party and those who voted for that political party, all of the things that we think Divide us. You are one in Christ, a new humanity. Paul says Christ is bigger than what you think divides you. And this new humanity is where Jesus' arms are big enough to wrap around all of us. Now some of you still right now are thinking, are you serious? Are you serious? (laughs) Is that even possible? Is that even possible? I wonder what it would look like if we took this seriously. If we actually believed that in the ways that we are different, politically, socioeconomically, culturally, in our life experience and our age, I wonder if, in all of those many ways that we are different, if we reminded ourselves on a regular basis that it's not as big as what we have in common. I wonder if we took this seriously and we said unity is possible in Jesus Christ and I am going to come alongside you and we're gonna do what it takes to understand each other because unity is possible through Jesus Christ. Unity is having harmony in union, the same priority. Paul says here, the, literally the like-mindedness is minding the same thing. This minding the same thing, that we have the same mind. That means you might go about your calling, your life in a different way, but you have the same mind, the same focus on Jesus. You might go about your life in a different way, but the same mind. There's a connection with having the mind of Christ together. And then the means for unity in verse three and four. He says you have all these backgrounds, different opinions, different statuses. We could even start telling our stories. I hope you watch the living room so that you can hear some of the stories of the people around you. But here's how Paul says, how we do it is by coming into the presence of God and experiencing the power of Jesus in our lives. And then he gives in verse three and four the how not as well. We must not practice selfishness. That means we don't, push me first and then he also says that even though this can happen in the church like my way I need you to say that I'm right in order for us to be partners in the gospel and the good news he says also don't have vain conceit that is vain glory that is wanting the applause or the recognition for ourselves. that as we said before we began this worship service it's all for the glory of God That's what it's about in my life and yours. It's all for the glory of God. So he says, don't put yourself above other people. Don't have vain conceit, which is trying to get glory for yourself. But instead, practice humility of mind. That means having proper estimation of yourself. That means I am not nothing and I am not everything. So some of you here today need to be reminded that you are not nothing, that you are precious, that you are enough, that God has redeemed you, and if you're slumping lower and going into depression because you don't feel worthy, you need to rise up and remember who you are and whose you are. And he said, you're not everything. You might be esteeming yourself right up here and you need to remember your common humanity, that we are all saved by grace. So you are not everything and you are not nothing. And as we meet on this common ground of grace in Jesus Christ, you have the proper estimation of yourself. Humility, finding common ground. I like how the NASB puts this next phrase, do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also the interests of others. Paul recognizes the tension that exists in humility and without this sentence, we could have taken him to extremes, self degradation self-hatred, but there's this balance. He says, not only your own interests. In other words, you cannot ignore your own interests because it'll come out passive aggressive and all sorts of, all, if you don't own what you need, he says, Look out for others in addition to your own interests. So you have things that you need, that's okay. But value your needs as much as you value other people's needs and vice versa. Value other people's needs as much as you value your own needs. He says this is how we live together in this one mind, one heart, one faith. Can we agree together, church, that Christ's body broken and blood poured out for the salvation of the world is enough to unite us? Can we agree together that our common need for grace is what anchors us as a people? Can we agree that we all have this same need, that we meet on this common ground? Imagine if this became your mindset. Imagine if we lived from this reality That doesn't mean it's easy. And it wasn't easy for that church, for Yodia or Syntyche or for Paul. But it was a vision, a compelling vision that they kept seeking to live by. I wanna show you what this looks like. Choir, could you come up and help me for a moment? Now as they're making their way forward, I'm gonna just share a few things for a moment because you can use a choir, you can use a band as this image. And I think it's really helpful for us to understand some of you are musicians that play different instruments. There's In music, there's melody and harmony, there's rhythm, there's all sorts of things going on musically here. But when musicians, when singers all sing or play their part, what happens is amazing. It's beautiful. When they all follow the conductor or the director, it's beautiful what happens. Now, what if a person rewrote the song and they all played or sang the same exact part? Well, it's beautiful. But when we all sing our own unique part, having like-mindedness that is then expressed through our own particular reality. What happens is beautiful. I wonder if we could hear, what if a part, if it was all of us singing the same part? We would love that. That's just lovely. Everybody's singing the same part. But we get confused sometimes. We think of unity as uniformity, as in having the same form, everyone being the same, everyone playing the same part or singing the same part. But what if there could be a way to understand that we have the same heart and mind of Christ, that we can be all united but singing our own part? What would that sound like? that one more time just one more time glory to God and the most pleasure to God when we all know our part, not esteeming ourselves higher or lower, but meeting on the common ground of the grace of Jesus Christ, we then together declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That Paul was saying, as you have, and we have too, pressures from without, we have pressures from within. But what that should cause us to do as believers is to press in to the presence of God and closer into each other. I know it doesn't always feel like reality. I know that holidays are coming up and you're already thinking of how that doesn't feel like reality in every space you occupy. It doesn't feel like reality as you walk throughout your week in your school and your workplace. But keep the vision. Keep the vision of what Paul put before the people of Philippi, that this is the united people of Christ, a new humanity, no dividing walls anymore, that we are one in Christ. And because of what you experience in Christ, that you share that with each other and with the world. Sing your part.